0: Good morning, friends. It's good to see you all this morning to worship with you. If you would, please join with me by turning in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. This morning we will consider Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. I would like to begin the reading in verse 12, however. Very grateful to Elder uh, Greg Eddings and Elder Scott Deasing for uh, being willing to help participate in worship. It's one of the sacrifices these men make to give me time to worship with my family on certain occasions. And so I'm very thankful for them uh, for that. And you should be as well. So Philippians uh, chapter 2 beginning in verse 12. Beloved, before we hear uh, God's word, if you would join your hearts together with me in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, how shall the young direct their way but by guarding it according to your word? And so we pray, Father, that you would help your people this morning guard our way by listening and obeying the word of the gospel. We pray, Father, that as the power of the voice of our Savior goes out, we ask, O Lord, that you would be at work in your people We pray, Father, that you would grant us your grace, that we would feed upon Christ in the gospel and so be changed by it, that we might magnify him, whether by life or by death. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, beloved, this is the word of God. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. We mentioned this last week, and we'll mention it again today. Paul closes off a major section of this letter with these Uh, verses. This section began back in chapter 1, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And now here, Paul had been telling the Philippians to do all things without grumbling or disputing, arguing, and he said that as the church holds fast to the word of life, as we are surrounded by much darkness, moral darkness in the world, Christians shine like stars in the night sky. And so Paul had compared the church to stars, to shining lights in the sky, which you are. That is what you are as Christians. You are the light of the world. This is part of your identity in this dark age. And this is so because you have in your possession as believers... The gospel, the light of the gospel. And so by the light of that gospel, you are the light of the world. This precious treasure that illuminates your mind and your heart and gives, and from there gives light to the world through your worship and your obedient love in Christ. And really it's Christ's light that shines through us in this world. This is part of who we are. And so in Christ, powered by his gospel, we are shining stars in this very dark age. Let us not forget that. But Paul switches metaphors here in these verses. The comparison now that he uses to describe the character and the nature of Christians is drawn from the Old Testament, particularly taken from the images of Old Testament animal sacrifices. And the priestly service the priestly service that accompanied those sacrifices. This is where these images are taken from in these verses. He says, "Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. And as he compares himself and the Philippians, as Paul does this, comparing himself and the Philippians with, sacrificial images drawn from the Old Testament, the Old Testament animal sacrifices, he says in the midst of this, I am glad and rejoice. I am glad and rejoice. Now this is one of many places in this shorter in this short letter where joy or gladness or rejoicing are mentioned. If you count them all you will come up with a number just shy of 20. So, Many times in this short letter, joy, gladness, rejoicing are referenced. For example, I'll give you a couple of them. Chapter 1, verse 25. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Chapter 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice And again, here Paul says, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Now, we've looked at this before, and today probably will not be the last time either. The joy and gladness that Paul speaks of here multiple times, it's not some superficial happiness. It's not a pretend happiness that denies pain. That is not what Paul is talking about here. The Apostle Paul nor any other writer in the Holy Scriptures teach that Christians should always act as if nothing bothers them and that we should always slap a smile on our face regardless of the kind of pain we may be going through, the kind of suffering we may be experiencing. The Bible does not teach that suffering is the mark of a lack of faith and that's partly where that idea comes from. You can never be unhappy as a Christian because... You should never suffer as a Christian. If you do suffer, then it's obviously a mark that something is wrong with you. Something is wrong with your faith. Something is wrong in your life. How could you be going through something so difficult Uh, when you're a Christian? God means to bless you at all times, to prosper you at all times. That is not what the bible teaches however in fact paul already said to this church do not be frightened by your opposition in chapter 1 and so there was some form of opposition that the philippians were dealing with and that was causing this church to suffer on some level and paul said your and there paul said your suffering at their hands is a clear sign of your salvation And so rather than suffering being a sign of disobedience, although that can happen if you sin and invite darkness into your life, you might be inviting suffering as a result of disobedience, but that is not what we're talking about here. In general, Christians suffer because they suffer in Christ, and that suffering that we go through, even contending with oppression against the gospel, is a sign to us that we belong to the Lord. Is actually the reverse. The suffering that we endure as Christians is a clear sign to us that we belong to Christ who suffered. Paul will also say later that he wanted to share in the sufferings of Christ. And so it's a scriptural truth that those who belong to Christ will suffer in Christ. That is something that cannot be avoided. And so rather than pretend that it doesn't bother us, The suffering or try and act as if we don't feel pain is actually a mark of living faith in the midst of our suffering to cast our burdens upon the Lord. And so, for example, you hear things like this said from the psalm writers. My heart is in anguish within me. Fear and trembling come upon me. Horror overwhelms me. That's hardly Words of a person trying to pretend everything's okay. But what does God do in, what does God do with us through our suffering? It's given that we will suffer as Christians, what, but what does God do with us through this suffering? Well, through suffering, friends, among other things, He leads us to tap into the joy of the life of God. And in the new covenant, the joy of the life that is found in Christ's resurrection. That is what God does with us through suffering. He leads us to tap into the eternal joy that we have in Christ. Which is why Paul says later he wants to know the power of Christ's resurrection. I want to share in the sufferings of Christ and know the power of Christ's resurrection. Suffering then, friends... It leads us higher, or it should. It should lead us higher. It should lead us off earthly things, thinking only about earthly things, to thinking about heavenly things, the things that endure, taking our mind off the temporary and start thinking about the things that last, the joy that lasts. That is what God does through our suffering. We are led to think about the joy that awaits us in the age to come. When we don't suffer, when we're comfortable, sometimes that's difficult because it can feel as though it's heaven on earth. We have everything we need. What more could there be? It's when God begins to take those things away. It's when he begins to lead you through suffering and to show you the transitory character of this world that he teaches you that there is something better. There's always something better as a Christian. No matter how good it is in this life. And so it's a joy that is created in us, that is experienced by us then, or will be experienced by us then. But it's also a joy that's created in us now by the Holy Spirit. We read, for example, in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. Love, joy. Joy is part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that we possess now. The gladness and rejoicing that Paul speaks of here is that joy, that joy that we have in the Spirit. It is gladness and rejoicing in the Spirit that recognizes that this world and its pleasures, its comforts, is not all that there is. It's that joy that Paul is speaking of here, that he speaks of multiple times in this letter. Now, do you not think that Paul was thinking about this while in chains for the gospel With a possible death sentence hanging over his head. Do you not think he was thinking about the next life? He was. And so as he did that, we have repeated references to joy, to gladness, to rejoicing. And what did the, the Spirit do in Paul during this time? Well, he did just that. He helped Paul to see things like this. To die is gain. Being with Christ after death is far better. That is what God does with us. That's what he did with the apostle in his suffering, in his brush with death, and that is what he does with us in our suffering in this age, that we would embrace these truths, really think about them and and bring them home into our hearts. Now, notice, too, here that the gladness that Paul speaks of here is not individualistic. He does not say, I am glad... I rejoice, I'm alone with Christ, me and Jesus are great, it's wonderful. Now certainly this was true, and this is true for each one of us. We have joy with Christ individually, yes, personally, with a personal relationship with him individually, that is of course what the Bible teaches and is a reality of our lives. But eternal joy is not shared and experienced only by one person and Jesus, and that alone. It is a communal joy. I am glad and rejoice with you all. It is a joy that is experienced among every believer, all believers, all of us, together in community. And so it's a joy that stretches across physical boundaries. Paul was in prison still experiencing the joy that he shared with the Philippians in another place, far from him. And so that joy extends across physical boundaries. There are Christians on the other side of the world who tap into the same joy that we have in the spirit. It's the same joy, one spirit, one faith. And so this joy, of course, does extend across geographical borders. With this said, however, this joy and the gladness that Paul had, this joy that he shared with the Philippian church while separated from them, even in, in prison, it is a joy, friends, that is not ultimately satisfied with separation. It's there, yes, still present in separation, but it's a joy that's not satisfied with that separation. The joy we share together Can only be properly fostered and strengthened and experienced when we are together. That is something that Scripture teaches us, and that is something that we will enjoy in the age to come. We won't be separated to each our own, to go each our own way. We will be together, enjoying Christ together as one body. And so, this joy is something that. Finds its completion in being together, physically together. Paul had said earlier in this letter, he said, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. And then after this, he tells them, I'm sending Timothy soon, and I have sent Epaphroditus to you. And then verse 24 of of that chapter, he says, I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. He yearned to be with them. He wants his helpers to be physically with them, and he also wants to be physically with them. It wasn't enough. He shares the joy with them while in chains, while separated, but he wants to see that joy complete by being together with them in person. And so as much as possible, friends, we are to feed our joy in the spirit by being together as far as possible. And particularly this happens here in worship on the Lord's day. And of course, we we would hope to foster that joy outside of worship on the Lord's Day, but it's a joy that, that it's not fully satisfied apart from this. It's not fully satisfied being separated from other brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we need to recognize that and do our best to be with one another. Joy and gladness in the spirit for the Christian is, in fact, so tied to our faith in the gospel that we as Christians can be commanded to be joyful. That is how intricate, how intimate joy is with faith in Christ. How tied to faith in Christ joy is, that we can be commanded from Holy Scripture to be joyful. This is what Paul does here. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And so, joy in the Spirit is, Gladness in the spirit as a Christian is part of who we are. It's part of our identity, part of our character. And so as you hear these words from Paul, likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. If you hear these words and you find yourself having trouble being glad in this way and rejoicing in this way, that is, if you find yourself having trouble rejoicing in the things of God, being glad in his word, being glad to be here in worship with God's people, hearing his gospel, in fellowship with other believers. If if those things are mundane to you, if they don't satisfy you, if you think there's something higher, something better to make you glad, to make you joyful, maybe you're focused on the wrong things. Maybe you're focused on the wrong things in your life. You're searching for joy, searching for gladness, a gladness that will last. Haven't found it. Where are you looking? Paul shows us where to look. You also should be glad and rejoice with me. There is a temporary happiness to be experienced by the things of this world, and Christians experience these things. Enjoy them. Make use of them. It's good to do that. But the joy that Paul speaks of here is eternal. I am glad and I rejoice. You also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, finally, we are reminded of the eternal and permanent character of this joy with the image of sacrifice that Paul gives us. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad. Meaning... The gladness I have now with you, even apart from you, the gladness I want to share with you by being in your presence, by being near to you physically, is a gladness that I still will have beyond my death, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering. And So that joy, that gladness is something that extends across geographical boundaries and extends across the boundary between life and death. And that is what we should be after as Christians. Now, Paul mentions a drink offering here. He refers to himself as a, as a drink offering. Essentially, a drink offering in the Old Testament was usually wine. And it was poured out upon or along with the animal sacrifices at the altar. And So an animal would be slain and offered to the Lord on the altar. And then at certain times, the wine would be poured out on that sacrifice now this type of ritual was seen in pagan sacrifices as well and the romans uh, the roman colony like the philippians would have been familiar probably with some of those practices so paul compares his life and ministry here as a pouring out a pouring out like that drink offering that's poured out on the altar His life, in other words, is poured out for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the church. But he also describes the Philippians' faith and service as a sacrifice as well. He's not the only one. He's not the only one involved in the sacrifice on the altar. He's being poured out as a drink offering, but there's another sacrifice as well. He refers to the Philippians' faith as a sacrificial offering and as priestly service The priests in the Old Testament would minister those sacrifices. They would be the ones who would carry those animals to the altar. They would be the ones who would pour out the wine. And so Paul says here, I'm a drink offering poured out upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. The Philippians then were like priests ministering animal sacrifices at the altar. He later calls their financial gift to him a sacrifice. This is in chapter 4, which we'll look at sometime in the future. And so if we put this all together, Paul, their apostle, the apostle to the Philippians, their pastor, views the partnership of Philippians in the gospel. All the work that they did that was included in that as being a partner in the gospel. Paul viewed their work, all that was included there, being united, not grumbling, giving generously, praying, loving one another, all all of that they did, all that they were called to do in this whole section. And that's what this whole section is. It's an exhortation to do things, to work out your salvation, to be unified, to not grumble, to not argue. That's what we've been looking at for several weeks now. All of that is part of the Philippians' partnership in the gospel, part of their contribution to the work of the gospel. And Paul sees all of it As priestly service upon the sacrificial offering of your faith as priests in Jesus Christ. Now Paul can do this because in the New Covenant we are all made to be part of a priesthood in Christ. Each one of you. Every single one of us. And right at the center of our priestly activity is what? It's the death of Christ. The final offering that puts an end to all the animal sacrifices that came before it. That is what we minister to one another, essentially. That death, that sacrifice, the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. As priests in Christ, we work out our salvation by obeying the gospel, by living out the gospel, the sacrificial offering of your faith. You are a priest in Christ. You are part of a royal priesthood in Christ. And everything that you do is defined and shaded by that definition as priests in him. You minister the death of Christ to one another when you do all the things that we've been called to do in this section. I hope we can appreciate the significance of that and the, the value of that. That's not something that Old Testament saints all the Old Testament saints shared. It's something that you share, though, in Christ. The sacrificial offering of your faith. But what about Paul? Well, was he not an apostle of Christ? Was Paul not an ordained minister of the gospel? Well, he was. But where does Paul, as an apostle, as a pastor, great leaders of the church, great theologian of the church, Where does he fit himself in with this this sacrificial imagery that he's using for for the members of this body? What does he do? Well, he lowers himself. His work complements their work in this imagery that he puts before us. I am to be poured out as a drink offering if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. The imagery, friends, of a, of a complementing and a completing drink offering. That's what the drink offerings were. They complemented the animal sacrifice. They completed the animal sacrifice. They, they brought it to a, a natural conclusion. The, the wine wasn't always offered there, but when it was, it, it was a complement and a, a completing work. That imagery of that drink offering applied to Paul emphasizes that Paul as a as an apostle and a minister of the gospel he viewed himself as a servant of the church I'm a drink offering I compliment what you do even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon your service your priestly service I'm glad you see what he does there he doesn't lord his authority, his leadership over them. He lowers himself, which is exactly what he called the Philippians to do, to consider others as more significant than yourself. I am but a drink offering upon your service. Chapter 1, Paul says this about him and Timothy. He, in the very in the introduction, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. If Paul dies, if he is poured out so that the Philippians might be up, built up in their work, in their priestly work, Paul was glad. He rejoices. But in that work, friends, they were all dying together. And this is what we all are called to do. We're all, all called, in some sense, to be poured out, to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, All of this is what made Paul glad. I am rejoice, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And this is what Christ did, friends. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Christ died to build us up. He's the ultimate drink offering, he's the ultimate wine offering that completes us, that builds us up. And so we too, in Christ, in our priestly service of offering ourselves to the lord for one another we should be glad and rejoice with one another to christ be all praise and glory now and forevermore let's pray together friends